Well, you can grab a seat. Uh, and good morning. My name is Jacob Smith. I am our college teaching director over at our Anderson campus. So, man, I'm just really excited to be here. I've gotten to visit Creekside one other time. I came back in January, but it was at the other middle school, or not middle school, small little school, uh, little people school. I don't know. Uh, My daughter's 19 months, so I don't know school yet. Uh, But we... Uh, man, it, it was so fun. I'm so excited to be back with you guys. Excited to just kind of get this one morning with you before the summer wraps up. Uh, normally in the year, I'm, I'm teaching our college students at our Anderson campus. So that's kind of my, my normal Sunday thing. But in the summers, they've all left me. Uh, they've abandoned me for like jobs or family or whatever. And so uh, I get to kind of hop around. And so I get to see you guys. And I'm really excited to be here. And I'm really excited to show you this little tidbit that I came upon uh, a couple weeks ago. What are you doing? <laughs> Did you fall in the toilet? Man, we've been there, right? We've all been there. This has been, uh, this is just part of the human experience. The fact that we find ourselves many times stuck in less than ideal situations, right? Sometimes it's a plumbing fixture uh, of sorts. Sometimes it's maybe just a boring conversation that we didn't realize we were getting into, but we're at the Christmas party and we just got to talk to this guy and Oh my gosh, it drags on our minds and our hearts. Uh, Sometimes we find ourselves maybe stuck in an uh, obligation that we signed up for a long time ago that we kind of forgot about, but now I got to help them move and I don't even like boxes, so what in the world? And and we find ourselves stuck in these situations that we don't necessarily want to be in. We're in jobs uh, that are terrible, the jobs that we don't enjoy, that don't bring fulfillment, and yet we know we have to make a certain amount of money so that we can survive. We find ourselves stuck in relationships that are toxic, that are horrible. Uh, that bring destruction and frustration to ourselves, to other people, and yet there's, for whatever reason, we feel like we can't get out of that terrible, terrible relationship. We find ourselves stuck in lies that maybe started smaller and yet have grown and expanded until suddenly we're kind of living behind this false mask. We've had to construct this, this, this very intricate uh, deception that we're having to maintain to, because we feel like we're just stuck within it. We find ourselves addicted to things and, and these destructive, horrible uh, substances or practices or habits or behaviors, things where we feel stuck and, and we know that it brings uh, you know, pain and suffering into our lives and the lives of others, and yet we feel like we just can't get out. We are all stuck in this world in one way or another. We look at the society around us, and man, there's a lot of pain, and there's a lot of frustration, and there's a lot of suffering. We're living in a world that's falling apart. It is literally falling apart all around us. It's filled with uh, abuse and corruption, It's filled with suffering. It's filled with despair. So my question for us this morning is, what do we do with that? How do we respond as believers to this reality of our existence? The fact that we are, for lack of a better word, stuck here and now. How do we live as people who are stuck? I mean, the truth is that our, our world, man, doesn't, it doesn't matter how, what, what, what law is passed or what hashtag we might use. The reality is that our, our, our struggle is not just against terrorism or sexism or racism. I mean, our world is struggling against sin. That's the root issue. So what do we do about that? As people who have put our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, what do we do with that? 
I mean, this summer we're studying theology. We're, we're basically just looking at who our God is and what he's accomplishing in our world. And when we're doing this, uh, because God has asked us, God wants us to love him with not just all of our hearts, but also all of our minds. He, he wants us to spend time and energy and, and study and getting to know and learn about him because he knows that as we m- learn more about God, we will get to know him. Not just knowing about him, but we will know him intimately, relationally, personally. And that knowledge of God, and that's, that's the goal of life. So we've been walking through a number of topics, a number, a number of, uh, of issues, of theological ideas. And, and this morning what we're getting to is basically what we, something we call eschatology, which is essentially just the study of the end times, the study of the end. And as we look at eschatology, as we kind of unpack, have kind of a brief overview of this topic, what we're going to see is that all believers, right, when we look at the end times, all believers looking ahead at that future date, we can all embrace certain truths. There are certain truths in our scripture that we can all affirm as believers. And as we embrace those truths, what it it allows us to do is to experience an incredible hope, to experience hope despite world's despair, to experience hope despite our current struggle of our current stuck existence. Honestly, uh, when I started preparing this talk uh, a week and a half ago, a couple weeks ago, I mean, it was very different from what it landed into, for what it turned into. Uh, my, My process and kind of my initial thought and my initial idea and goal was to essentially just kind of look at the, the differing views that we might have, the kind of major arguments, the major ideas of what the end times might entail. That, that was what I thought would be beneficial because as many of us are maybe really aware, uh, our Christian culture, our Christian circles, we have a lot of views on the end times. Right? Maybe even just within your own families, within your circle groups, friends, whatever it might be. There's a lot of differing opinions about what exactly the end times look like. What does the end of the world actually look like? There's different calendars and timelines and, and ideas. and There's a lot out there. And so my goal was to look at these major ideas, many of which are created and held by godly men and women who are seeking to interpret Scripture to the best of their ability. Godly men and women, wise men and women, dedicating time and energy and thought to, to, un, to creating these ideas and, and these, these interpretations of the future. And my goal is maybe we can look at some of these, kind of the bigger ones, and in doing so, just offer clarity. I wanted to basically equip you so that you could kind of move into those conversations and into those discussions uh, with a more maybe foundational knowledge base. Or just with kind of a clear understanding of, okay, these people say this, and these people say that, and and this is kind of what we see in Scripture. I I basically wanted to basically just, again, equip you to to navigate those sometimes choppy waters. And yet, a week and a half ago, our American culture exploded. We had a week of violence, of horrific racism and, and division, it culminated essentially a couple Thursdays ago, just three hours north of us in Dallas. And when I saw these things happening, man, even though I walked in the Thursday night with a very clear sermon plan, I, I came out Friday morning with an entirely new outlook. I felt led by the Spirit to not focus on the divisions we might have, but instead to focus entirely on what unifies us. What can unify believers as we look 
at those end times. Because again, man, our, our world is fracturing. <laughs> our world is dividing. So now, more than ever, we as believers have an opportunity to be an example of the unity that's provided through faith in Jesus Christ. Christians who come from all walks of life, all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of ethnicities, all kinds of socioeconomic statuses, all of these people who place their faith in Jesus Christ suddenly find themselves as part of a family. They find themselves being brothers and sisters without division. That's what Christ offers us. So there is a time and a place. There's absolutely a value in discussing the divisions. There's absolutely a value in, in looking at those tensions that maybe seek to devise, that, that hold us maybe in contention, that, that force us to look at Scripture more. But man, I, I think right now, probably this time and this place, I would propose is a time to focus instead on our, what unifies us. So to that end, I, I was in my study, I, I came upon seven essentially foundational truths that we can all affirm. That any believer would affirm, anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ would say, yeah, these seven truths are, are clear in our scripture regarding the end times. Uh, but then I thought, well, we probably don't want to sit in here for like two hours. So I was led by my clock to choose three. All right, so we're going to look at three, three essential truths, three foundational truths. I, all seven are going to be on our website and the sermon notes for this week. Uh, if you have any interest in, in looking into more of it, I, I went ahead and the, it's, it's in there, the, the passages and kind of the, the principles. But this morning in particular, what we're going to do is we're going to look at three foundational truths that we can all affirm. And let me just say briefly before we even hit them, uh, tension in theology, again, is so good. Man, we should be embracing the tension in our theology because God has allowed it to remain for a purpose. God has allowed tension to remain in our midst, in our theology, because ideally what it does is it creates humility. All right? When we look at Scripture, one of my profs described as, you look at our theology, uh, you think of it as a frozen pond, and he says that it's, the ice is not always the same thickness. Right? There are certain things that we know and can affirm and, and that there is no debate. Right? We, are, we are depraved people. God is triune and man is depraved and we need to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Right? Those are things that we can absolutely, I will die on that hill. But there are other things in our theology. There are other issues or ideas or topics where maybe the ice is a little bit thinner or maybe there's a little bit more room for discussion. Uh, my wife and I, we have a 19-month-old daughter named Charlotte. He's awesome. Uh, and this morning even, just this morning, she wanted to eat cereal. Right, this is a new thing for her, uh, to have cereal and milk and a spoon in a bowl. And this is, this is big, right? And, but she kind of was figuring it out. She was, kinda, she was eating it. She kind of knew, okay, like I can get this. And that's good for me, right? Because as a father, I know without a doubt, my daughter needs to eat food, right? I read that in like two books, all right? So I know my daughter needs to eat food. That is a, that is a no discussion needed topic. However, as she was eating the cereal, she thought, man, you know, this spoon's working out, but who needs it? And starts just using her hands to scoop out this milky, sludgy, softened cereal, would kind of get in her mouth, but then also would just sort of throw it to our dog. And so that is something where, you know, I could step in. Maybe there's a conversation that should happen at some point, a dialogue between the two of us uh, about the proper use of spoons uh, and hands and when they should not uh, interse- intersect. Uh, but, you know, there's also, there's room for discussion. I'm like, you know, maybe there's, maybe this isn't the time and place to discuss that. Maybe there's, she could make some valid arguments of like, hey, dad, my hands are just good at scooping. I'd be like, that's fair. Like, I, I got to give that to you. Like, I, 
I recognize that that's not as, not as of an essential conversation. There's not necessarily as harsh of a black and white on that. When we look at our theology, there's going to be certain things that we should absolutely stand by and die for. But there's certain things that we don't need to, that we can talk about. And I'll tell you, when we talk about it, when we address that, that tension, I would encourage you to, to re- recognize that that tension should lead to two things in our lives. The first being a, a greater reading of Scripture. If you ever have this discussion or if you're in kind of a, a disagreement with someone about a theological point, that should lead you to read Scripture ever more. And secondly, it should create a greater reliance upon the, upon the Spirit. Be praying to the Lord, asking him to guide those conversations, to guide your study and your thoughts. Ask the Lord to be involved in that process because ideally what happens when we approach it in that way, seeking to be humbled, I mean, there's incredible unity to be found in that discussion. Truth can be, can be uh, sharpened in those discussions. So that tension is good. I would say, you know, as you're looking at that, as you're talking about that, look at the entirety of Scripture. Don't, don't allow just one small passage to somehow dictate your entire theology. Wrestle with all that God has given us, all the scripture that he's revealed to us. And I'd also encourage you to use other resources. If you're interested in this topic of, of eschatology of the end times, if you want to look more into this, I cannot recommend this book enough. This is one of the absolute, this is the absolute most helpful book that I've read on end times. In my seminary experience. I read a lot of books on the end times. I read a lot of different views, a lot of different things. This book, Exploring Christian Theology, specifically the church, spiritual growth, and end times, this is the absolute most, man, just truthful, uh, engaging, and, and helpful books that I've read on this topic. There's three different books in this series. It doesn't actually say volume three, but you, if you are interested, you want to find the one that says church, spiritual growth, end times at the bottom. It's like 12 bucks on Amazon. Cannot recommend it enough. So incredibly helpful. So well presented. They go through the major ideas, the major arguments, and it's all grounded in Scripture. It's, it's wonderful. Cannot recommend it enough. So if you have interest, look into this. But that said, so what are these kind of three foundational truths that we can all affirm as believers? I mean, first and foremost, it's that Jesus Christ will return for us. Jesus Christ is coming back. We see this throughout Scripture. One of my favorite spots is Acts 1, 11, because the disciples have seen Jesus ascend into heaven. He tells them, hey, look, I need you to do some stuff. While I'm gone, I'm going to go prepare a place for you in my father's house. Uh, I'll, I'll see you later. And so he leaves. He goes into heaven, and all the disciples just are still standing around looking, thinking like, now or should we get lunch? Or? And then suddenly an angel appears. And the angel tells him, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus who had been taken up from you into heaven will come back the same way you saw him go into heaven. Again, we see repeatedly throughout scripture, Jesus Christ is returning. We all know this to be true. We can all affirm this to be true. But the wrinkle within that, kind of the little caveat, the little twist to this truth is that we don't know when it's going to happen. Again, we see this throughout Scripture. Revelation 3, Jesus Christ is addressing uh, one of the churches in the end times. He says, Therefore, remember what you received and heard and obey it and repent. And if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will never know at what hour I will come against you. Jesus Christ has affirmed. Other authors in our Scripture have affirmed. We do not know the time and the place. We do not know the day that Jesus Christ will return. We don't. And that unknown 
frustrates people, right? It can frustrate a lot of people. In fact, some people just get to the point that they're like, you know what? I'm just going to pick a day. Like, I'm just going to land on, I'm going to pick this day on this year, and that's going to be the day. And people always justify it, right? They're not just like, I just, nah, I just think it might be this day. They, they come up with some sort of reason, right? They claim that there's some sort of hidden knowledge, that there's some code that God's left for us. But the reality is that our God has not done this, right? God has not just hidden the true date of Christ's return uh, and by deciphering the, reading the Mayan calendar uh, backwards and putting it into like emojis. Like that's not a thing that we need to do. That's not what God has done. He's told us repeatedly that he's leaving it as a mystery. That's something that we are not going to be aware of. Why? Because in doing so, it creates within his people a sense of urgency, a sense of desperation. It's the difference between uh, having a normal quiz and a pop quiz. Right? I work with college students. This is all the time where someone knows like, okay, I have a quiz on Friday. Therefore, I will begin studying on Thursday. Or I will begin studying on Friday slightly before the quiz. Like that's, that's kind of the MO. But I've seen other students who they have a quiz coming up, but they don't know when. It's a pop quiz. And so when they walk through their week, man, they're just like nervous. Like they're just anxious at all times. And they're being diligent to actually remember the material because they know they could be tested on it at any given moment. They're just, they go to class. They'll go to every class that week. Like it's nuts. <laughs> I've seen it though, like twice. It's amazing. It's amazing. And that's what God is creating within us. He's creating the sense of urgency. Just this past week, a and police, a university police, they tweeted out this thing saying, uh, I'm going to just quote, they said that, hey, just a heads up to everyone, there was an illegally parked car, creates, created an accident, airbag deployed in second vehicle, first driver had exited to catch a Pokemon. Why? Why did someone abandon their vehicle, cause an accident on campus? Because they just, they had to get that Pokemon because they don't know when it's going to show up again, right? There's this unknown. And so they're desperate. there's a desperation to their living. There's an urgency to their mission. God has given us all a mission to make his name known. When Jesus Christ was leaving, he gave the great commission saying, I want you to go out to all people, to all nations. I want you to tell them what I told you. I want you to baptize them, baptize them in my name. I want you to lead them in the ways that I've shown you. That's our mission as believers to proclaim the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live and die and rise again for our sake. It's our mission to go to our world and tell them that anyone who calls the name of Christ might be saved. Tells them that they could all have this incredible new life, this eternal life by faith through, or by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's our mission. There needs to be an urgency to it. In light of what we know about the end times, in light of what we can affirm about the end of this world, there should be an urgency to our mission. Best pieces of, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever received, a guy told me the, the fact that there should just be a desperation to our preaching. Not just up on a stage, but our, our preaching, our proclamation of a gospel. He says there should always be a desperation in our preaching. There should always be a sense of urgency in our living. And yet so often we lose sight of that. 
We do. I do. We lose sight of that life that, that Paul himself affirmed, saying that maybe as much as he longed to, to be reunited with Christ in death, as, long as, as much as he longed to leave this world for a better existence, he says, while I'm here, I'm going to live for Christ. To die, man, it would gain me so much, and yet while I live, I will live for Christ. I will live with urgency and desperation. I'm going to live to equip the saints and to proclaim the gospel to the lost. Jesus Christ is coming back. We know this to be true. And at that point, what we also can affirm is that God will redeem our bodies through physical resurrection. We see this repeatedly in Scripture. One of the best spots is 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul writes that it is the same with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, and what is raised is imperishable. He's talking, he's, he's kind of ending this long uh, explanation of the gospel of Christ, talking about how Jesus Christ died for us. Jesus Christ was buried for us, but Jesus Christ rose again. He was physically resurrected to prove his power over sin and death. He says, we all have to affirm this. We all have to believe that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead because some people at that time, even at that time, there were people that were denying that. People within the Christian church were like, no, like maybe not. Maybe it's just sort of a spiritual thing. And, And he says, no, like we need to affirm this because this is our future. He says, in the same way, we will be resurrected. We're sown as perishable beings, and yet we will be raised as imperishable. We are sown at first in dishonor, but it is raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, yet it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, then there is also a spiritual body. Paul is saying, look, we need to affirm this fact. We need to look and realize that our bodies are not designed for eternity. They're not. They're dishonored. They're weak. He says there's something so much greater waiting for us. There's something so much better on our horizon, in our future. And what this should do, what this should tell us and and remind us of is that our bodies here and now, our, our current existence, man, we're not designed for sin. Because while we were born in the image of the man of dust, we now can bear the image of the man of heaven. I love this analogy. We were born, we've, we've, we've lived in this way, reflecting the man of dust. In other words, Adam. He says, and yet we will have an opportunity to have a perfected, a glorified state, a glorified body that will reflect the image of Jesus Christ, the man of heaven. I mean, this is what we have to look forward to. We need to recognize that our current bodies, they're not designed for sin. They're not. My, my daughter, Charlotte, uh, recently started her very first uh, swim lesson experience. She had two full weeks. She just wrapped them up a couple days ago. Uh, and Charlotte, in her swim lessons, uh, I mean, she learned a lot. Uh, one thing that she learned, seen here, contemplating, uh, all of her lessons uh, is the first and foremost is that she realized, she, she learned that she must have done something to anger God, to deserve such a horrific punishment as her mom lovingly taking her to swim lessons. Because Charlotte hated every single lesson, absolutely despised it. And she, well, until the very end, the last day, the very final day, she was like, okay. But every other day, <sighs> Hated it. 
absolutely hated it. As soon as she would hit the water, uh, she would put her hands up and start going like this. Uh, and that's because this is her signal for all done, right? This is something that she learned uh, in our home. And so when she's done eating, uh, you know, she lets us know. Or if, like, she's done, like, getting her diaper changed, she's like, uh, you know, and she just kind of lets us know, like, hey, uh, we're done here. Like, we can wrap this up. Uh, you see my hands. And so as soon as she would hit the water, as soon as my wife would lovingly, graciously take her into the water, reassuring her, just singing softly into her ear, she would hit the water, just, uh, and she would start crying and would not stop crying until she got back out and onto just that sweet, sweet dry land. But just the entire lesson, the entire 30-minute lesson, my daughter would be in the pool <laughs> the whole time. Other kids are like learning things, learning to kick. They're like, oh, this is great. I, I like water. My daughter, no. Charlotte, uh-uh. No, not having it. Why? Because what I've now learned about her and her life experience and the way that God has designed her uh, is that she's just, she's not made for water. She's just not designed for water. At least not at Adamson Lagoon. We're pro- she probably will not attend uh, the pool party tonight. Uh, let's just say that because she would have a horrible time. Uh, and she is not designed for that. I recognize that now. I'm like, okay, good to know. At least at this point in life, right? A lot of people, I talked about this last Sunday at Anderson. I had, I think, eight moms come and reassure me uh, that one day she would be okay in water. And I appreciate that. And I know it to be true. But at this point, in my life, I know, in her life, she's not ready. She's, she's not designed for it. I can see that in the way that she lives. I can see that in the, the emotions that it brings to her and the actions that it leads her to take. And what we need to realize is that as we look at our current state, as we look at our current life and experiences, that we're not designed for sin. We're not. There is a reason that God will re- resurrect us and redeem our bodies. There's a reason that we will no longer just be this natural state, but there will be a spiritual element. What exactly does that look like? I can't say for certain. But there's some redemption that takes place. I think our clearest example is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, over and over again, anytime his disciples had questions about God or, or life or whatever it might be, Jesus was always like, hey, look at me, look at me. You wonder about the Father? Look at me. You wonder about like, the kingdom of heaven? Just look at me. And so when we see Christ coming back, when he's, we see him resurrected, I think that's maybe a good place to start. As we're thinking about what does that resurrected form look like? What, is that, how do, what does that entail? We know that Jesus Christ had a physical presence. He, you could feel scars on his hands. So there was an element that remained of his more physical form. There, there, you, he ate. He ate in his glorified, in his resurrected form. So what exactly does that mean? I mean, we're not going to get into it. But there's some sort of future hope for us in that. And we need to recognize, I mean, sin We're not designed for it. It's always going to bring destruction to ourselves and to others. So we shouldn't be surprised when we are pursuing sin and yet it fails to bring us joy or satisfaction in life. That's what we need to recognize. We should not be shocked when pain and suffering, frustration, emptiness, and despair are the results of sin in our lives. Because we're not designed for it. We're just not. We need to realize the gravity of our sin, but it also should allow us to be honest about our struggles with one another because we're all awaiting that same future day. That's why James tells us that we should be confessing our sins to one another, using each other as support and encouragement in the midst of our waiting for that future glorious day. We can affirm that Jesus Christ is coming back. We can affirm that our bodies will be redeemed through physical resurrection. And we can all affirm that God will one day destroy sin, destroy death, destroy suffering. 
We see this in Revelation, or sorry, Romans 8. Paul says that I consider our present sufferings cannot even be compared to the coming glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation eagerly await, waits for the revelation of the sons of God. Paul knew suffering. And he, he, he was beaten, he was imprisoned, tortured. He would eventually be killed for the sake of the gospel. He knew what it meant to suffer. And yet he was able to look at believers in his day. He's able to look the Holy Spirit is able to minister to us in our present age that there are the sufferings in our midst and yet they do not even compare to the glory of our future hope. Don't even compare. He says it's in hope we were saved. He says now hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with endurance. He says, man, we have this incredible hope on our horizon. We have this incredible spot that we can be looking to. And, and this is so powerful. And a future hope always provides value in our present because what it does is it allows us to lift our eyes to a better existence. It allows us to lift our focus off of our current struggle, our current suffering. What hope does is it, it promises that we're not going to be stuck in this present existence. We're not going to be stuck in this current condition. What hope does is it focuses our attention away from our inward issues and problems. It allows me to no longer be worried and concerned and anxious about these issues in my life or what tomorrow might bring for me. And instead, what that hope does is it allows me to shift my focus out. I can look at the purpose that God has handed me. I can look at the people that God has put in my life. What that hope does is it allows me to live for something greater than my own personal satisfaction and comfort and well-being. And that hope should get our feet moving. should get our mouths talking. That hope is something that we have that is so unique in this world. It's something (laughs) exclusive, I would say, to Christianity alone. A real hope in the future. There's a God who loves us, who saves us by grace, who wants something better for us, who's willing to minister to us in our current broken state and wants to use us to spread his message to other people. So my question to you today is who would you talk with? Who would you initiate a conversation with? Who would you send a text Who would you set up a coffee with? Who would you have a lunch with today if you knew that Jesus Christ was returning tomorrow? Who would you contact? Because we don't know. We don't know when that day is. We don't know what it will look like in its entirety. We know he's coming back. We know that redemption will occur. We know that the kingdom of God will be ushered in. And what we know is that there are people in our midst, in our families, in our workplaces, in our friend groups, who are going to miss out on eternal life because they do not have the faith we have. We need to talk to them. We need to be praying for them. That the Spirit would move. So ultimately, it's, it's the Holy Spirit that changes hearts, but He He graciously will include us in that process. We make ourselves available. So who is it that you would initiate with? 
Who would you call? Who would you text? Let's go before the Lord and ask him to bring that to our minds. God, we thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you for the purpose that you've given us. God, we thank you for the, just the incredible hope that we have as believers. Lord, we ask that we would be mindful of that truth. That, God, we would remember that there is a, a greater calling, there's a greater purpose for our lives. Lord, we ask that you would calm our hearts as we prayed at the very beginning. That our souls would truly be well. Lord, we ask that you would draw into our minds right now others who need to hear these words. Others who need this hope presented to them in a clear and understandable way. God, there are people in our midst who are deep in despair. Lord, who are broken and feel maybe as if they will always be broken. And yet, God, we ask that you would use us as your agents, as your witnesses to move into their lives, God, to proclaim the truth that Jesus Christ died for them just as he died for us. If you would take a moment right now, ask the Lord to bring to your mind a name, a face. Ask the Lord to bring to your mind someone you know needs to hear the gospel, needs to hear the truth of Jesus Christ, the hope that's offered through his life and death and resurrection. Ask the Lord to bring that person to your mind right now and ask the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to to provide opportunity to talk with that person. Ask the Holy Spirit to provide motivation and strength for yourself. That you wouldn't be uh, dissuaded by by anxiety or fear or or, or potential awkwardness, but that instead that God would speak through you and would use you to minister to that person. Ask the Lord, bring that person to mind and to give you the, the strength and the motivation, the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Ask him that right now. God, once again, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for this hope. We pray that it would change our lives on a daily basis. We ask all these things in your will. Amen. All right, well, we love you guys, and uh, we'll see you in a week.